Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. We have one of our favorite guests rejoining us this week, Megan Gorman. Megan is the founding partner of Checkers Financial Management, a fee-only planning firm that specializes in high net worth and ultra-high net worth families in San Francisco. Checkers focuses on establishing long-term relationships with families and helps them navigate through tax, estate, liquidity, and investment planning. Megan heads the firm's family office services practice. Thanks for joining us, Megan. Thanks for having me back on, David. So the subjects, plural, of today's episode are Rick Ocasek and Polina Poriskova. Rick Ocasek was an American singer, songwriter, musician, and record producer. He was co-lead vocalist, rhythm guitarist, and songwriter for the seminal rock band The Cars. In addition to his work with The Cars, Ocasek recorded seven solo albums and also worked as a record producer for artists such as Suicide, Bad Brains, Weezer, Not a Surf, Guided by Voices, and No Doubt. In 2018, Ocasek was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with the Cars. Polina Poroskova, on the other hand, is a Czech-born supermodel. In 1984, at 18 years old, she became the first Central European woman to be on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue back then when that was still a big deal. And she was the second woman, after Christy Brinkley, to be featured on the Swimsuit Issues front cover in consecutive years, in 84 and 85. The pair met while filming the music video for the Cars song Drive in 1984, and they married in 89. The marriage eventually deteriorated, and they split up in May 2018. Poroskova filed for divorce, but the couple was still married when Ocasek unexpectedly passed away on September 15, 2019, at age 75 while recuperating from surgery. Rick was survived by six sons, two from his relationship with Paulina and four from previous marriages. Now his probate estate is valued at about $5.1 million, which appears to be kind of low based on what you would expect from his commercial success. But it's highly likely that he was well advised and transferred significant assets during his life using trusts and the other wealth transfer tools that we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. Now, where things start to get interesting is on August 28, 2019, shortly before his surgery, Ocasek wrote a new will in which he disinherited Poroskova, saying, I've made no provision for my wife, Polina Poroskova, as we were in the process of divorcing. Even if I should die before a divorce is final, Polina is not entitled to any elective share because she has abandoned me. Moreover, Rick specifically provided that two of his six sons would not receive an inheritance from him. It also named Mario Testani as his personal representative, which is this basically the same thing as an executor. Poroskova has retained legal counsel, and the case is still ongoing at the time of this recording. So, Megan, what legal remedies and protections exist for disinherited spouses? 
Yeah, this is a this is a really loaded fact pattern, right? Um, and I think there's a lot to unpack here, David. And you know, I think the thing is, this has been surprising as a member of the public watching this play out because what we've been used to seeing is these rock stars marrying these models and having these great lifestyles. And what we found here is that even though they were amicably divorcing. As he was about to have surgery, he disinherited his wife. And so what I think we should do is take a step back and sort of talk about some definitions here and give a little bit of history on the concept of spousal rights and spousal share. And so, you know, you talk about the fact that about three weeks before he passed away, Rick Ocasek added language to his estate plan that basically disinherited Paulina. But the thing is, in U.S. law, there is typically a spousal share, which is in existence to prevent the disinheritance of a spouse. And it technically gives a spouse a fixed fraction of the probate estate of the deceased spouse. And what we find in a lot of the state statutes, because each state has a different statute on this, is it's traditionally about a third of the estate, regardless of the length of the marriage. And so, you know, when you think about this rule, you know, you think about the fact that spouses have rights here. And this has a very, very long history. You know, when you think of estate planning law in the United States, you can't help but go back to England and you know a thousand years of common law and part of the reason we have spousal share really comes under the english common law concepts of dowries um, for brides which is in the event um, the the husband passed away back in ancient times medieval times renaissance times they wanted to make sure that the surviving spouse who had to give away a lot of the assets right to to the the her oldest son still retained a share so that she didn't become destitute and a burden on society. So this is a very old concept, but it's something that we in the United States have embraced. And, and as life has gotten more complicated, as we deal with longevity, as we deal with people with multiple marriages, these types of provisions still resonate today in protecting spouses. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I mean, first of all, just to point out the obvious that even though in this case we're talking about a man and a woman, and in, obviously the English common law is meant to protect wives, this is not a gendered uh, instrument, not a gendered option. It's any spouse can avail themselves of this. Um, That's a great point to make. Yeah. Is also that, I mean, we're talking about in terms of disinheritance because that's where you see it the most. That's the most stark example of when something like this would be used. But I know at least in New York, and you can see in the language uh, from Ocasek's will, it's actually, it's called the spousal elective share. And in New York, at least, the spouse can, even if not fully disinherited, even if they get, you know, some not insignificant amount, can still elect to take, instead of what they were given, this one-third chop of, or depending on how much it is in any given state, of the estate. So it's a general protection. Disinheritance is sort of the obvious, like, you get nothing versus you get this. But it's, in a lot of states, it's available regardless of, quote, of what they've gotten in the will. Correct. And I think one of the things that we have to think about here when you look at this fact pattern, and I think this is important for advisors because word choice matters. And Ocasek specifically stated in his new will that she had abandoned him. And the use of that word is very, very powerful because in a fact pattern like this, 
abandonment is actually a defense against the elective share. And so when you think about this, he he and his, his drafting attorney specifically chose this word because now it sets the bar for Paulina to take the estate to court and prove that she hadn't abandoned him. And what's interesting about this is, as you've seen commentators talk about this case, we live in a day and age of social media, and a lot of them have pointed to the fact that leading up to his death, she actually was still posting post photos of them as a family and speaking very affectionately about him. And in fact, she was the one who had found him, that he, she was the one who found him when he passed away because she had gone to bring him, I think, his Sunday paper and coffee and had found out he had passed in the night. So what's interesting about this case is we're really gonna be focusing on the language in the document and then seeing if she really truly abandoned him. And that's gonna be an important thing. Yeah, and I think it's also really important for our sort of our non-lawyer advisors to take note of this um, when you're looking at sort of wills and, and these sorts of end of life planning documents. Mm -hmm. Because the word choice is very important. And you know, words, especially in legal documents, mean things. And I know that sounds stupid, of course, words mean things. But they, they have very specific defined meanings in a lot of cases in legal documents. And in this case, you know, it may be tempting to look at this and be like, oh, abandoned is sort of they're trying to build their argument in court for, you know, using flowery language to be, be dramatic about how she abandoned me and make it look worse than it is. But actually, as as Megan noticed, that, that that's actually like an important legally defined term that's, that's relevant to this case. And there's a lot of terms like that that will come up that seem like there's some like soap opera dynasty stuff but are actually legally defined terms that advisors need to be aware of. I think that's that's really true. And abandonment here means leaving the other spouse with no intent to return. Now, what's gonna happen here is if this continues to proceed, and there's a lot that can happen, this might never see the light of day, but if it does go to court, it will be up to a probate judge to decide if she had, if she had abandoned him. And so they will take testimony and so on. Now, what makes this case even more complex, right, is it's not just the fact that he disinherited his wife here, but this is a man who had multiple marriages. He had three marriages. Uh, the one with Paulina was, was obviously a very long-term marriage, but he had three marriages and two sons with each of his spouses. And of these six children, he disinherited another two of them. So why I bring this up is you've got Paulina obviously going to challenge this, but what muddies the waters even more is the fact that there's two sons who have been disinherited and by all indications of what we've seen so far in the case, they will likely challenge the will. And they're gonna look at the will and they're gonna challenge it because it occurred so close to death and they might challenge it as being invalid or not properly expressing desire. And so this is going to be a really complex case. Um, and I bring this up because when you think about our role as advisors, we get to see things in real time, right? We get to be there and talk to our clients. And you know, when they're getting divorced or they're going for a surgery or they're struggling with their children, we have that data. And look, you know, we all have, we all, you know, know people who joke about the fact that every time there's a family fight, somebody's changing the will. But that does actually happen. And I think it's really important for advisors to be able to point out to their clients that, look, 
I appreciate the fact that you're angry with this person, but, but a couple things are at play here. One, if by putting this language in your documents, it may be challenged and your wishes may be ignored. And two, you know, nothing makes everybody more crazy than death and money, right? And, and you see that all the time. That's the point of this show, right? But, you know, you look at the comments that Paulina has made to the press about what's happened and talking about the fact that this has been incredibly confusing because here she's grieving a man that she spent more than three decades with, yet he did this sort of final twist of the knife um, to her. And so I think it's also talking to our clients about, look, when we're all gone, you know, when you're gone, what, what do you want your family to be left with? And what type of legacy? And really, are you trying to hurt them in the final moments? And, and you know, really don't be afraid to challenge your clients on this stuff when they feel like they want to go and be this harsh. Yeah, and especially this idea of twisting the knife, right? And, and thinking of the words you use. Because like when you look at, just again, just the little excerpt we have, like he specifically mentions, even if I should die before our divorce is final, right? And like, that's doesn't matter. You could say that in, in your will a million times, but like by the law, that doesn't matter, right? Because a selective share exists. So it's sort of a weird thing that the, the attorney would let him, we're not stopping from putting that in there, right? Because that's really just kind of, this serves no purpose for the most part other than as like a, a middle finger, right? To additional middle finger to his wife on the way out. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's complicated, right? Anyone who's had a long-term relationship knows it's complicated. Um, what his intent was, why he did this, it's not clear. Now, one thing I want everyone to make sure we're all clear about is, you know, once someone passes away, the divorce proceeding ends because dead people cannot get divorced. And so Paulina is his widow. But, you know, I think that what you see here is also a situation where advisors could have been more aggressive in helping Rick and Paulina. And what I mean by that is, I always think about the fact that family law and estate planning are like siblings in the law area, right? And I, in estate planning, we pull from family law all the time for solutions when we don't have one and vice versa. But I think for advisors, when you think about that, when a client comes to you and says, I'm getting divorced, right? And you've been working with them. You need to sort of say, okay, as much as we want to talk to the divorce attorney, we also need to think about this from an estate planning perspective and, you know, really plot out how best to tackle all of the estate planning that has been done from the wills to the healthcare directives to the beneficiary designations. And that's because sometimes it depends on the state if something is automatically revoked when a divorce proceeding is put into play. And in other cases, it's not. And so if you have clients that, you know, have complex asset bases that you think are going to be in an extended divorce proceedings, it may make sense to have an agreement between the two spouses of how they want to handle the estate planning while they're sort of in this gray area. And I think it's really important to force that discussion because things happen. And, you know, this is a good example. I think she filed for divorce two years before he passed away. And whether it was the complexity of the asset base, the fear of actually pulling the trigger on the divorce, or, or, or just, you know, not getting around to it, it's put them in this very gray area. And so advisors need to be proactive here when you have divorcing clients. Yeah, and I mean, we've spoken about this um, on previous episodes, not me and Megan, but 
um, me and Kim came in um, on an episode where we talked about um, what we were calling modern polyamory, where this fact pattern is sort of similar to this, where people, you know, a married couple separates, but never actually officially divorces, and they just lead their own lives, you know. And in this case, maybe they didn't lead their own lives, but in many cases, you know, they'll take new partners. And so all of a sudden, you've got you know, they're still married. They haven't lived together in four years. They each have long-term boyfriend and girlfriends, all of whom have kids. And these things can get very crazily convoluted. And like, that's not such a crazy fact pattern anymore. Like that's something that we're seeing more and more because it's so expensive to get divorced. And it's such a drain on your assets that for some people they're like, listen, like that's a legal relationship that doesn't matter to us anymore. We can just, you know, go our separate ways and not worry about the lawyers and, you know, dumping all of this money that that we would waste into the divorce proceeding. Yeah, it's 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 incredibly true. This is this to some degree is so common in a way. And the fact that, you know, sloppiness in a divorce can really cause estate planning a lot of strife. And and I want to bring up something else here that advisors should mention to their clients as they go through this. Because when you have clients going through divorce, what ends up happening is the people who end up making the money on it are the attorneys. And I say this as an attorney, and, and David, I know you're an attorney as well, but you know, in, in, in all of this, right, you also have to think about in an estate that's being contested, are you going to cause undue expenses on the estate? And so one of the other things that came up for me in sort of reading the fact pattern, looking through the issues, is the fact that this personal representative of Rick Ocasek, right, who's his executor, he has to stand in Rick's shoes in court during this probate proceeding. And that's going to start to cost money with attorneys, with court fees, and so on, and, and executor fees, that really going down this aggressive path towards a, uh, a soon-to-be former spouse or your children can really just cost money that's not, that's not necessary. Yeah, and that's a place where the advisor can really step in, right? Whereas, you know, the attorney is sort of devoted to, you know, ensuring that the wishes of the testator are carried out, you know, as, as closely as possible. Like, as advisor, you just kind of have the best interest of your client at heart, right? And you can say, like, hey, listen, like, is it the best interest of your family, you know, to have this money? Like, what you when you, you say you want to disherit, disinherit someone, like, that means one thing, but that also is, is actually going to cost you money, as you just m- noted, in the sort of the future legal fees and the fight that's inevitably going to happen when you disinherit someone in this way. So, you know, as, a, as an advisor, as a financial advisor, you know, this is a place where you can step in and be like, hey, listen, like, I understand that, that you feel this way, but do we really want to do this? Is monetarily, does this sort of emotional move make the most sense? Exactly, exactly. And look, you know, I think it'll be remain to be seen what will play out here, partly because these are public people, so they may want to make it more private going forward. Um, you know, there might be something worked out behind the scenes that we won't find out exactly what happens here. But ultimately, it's it's just a bad coda to really what was a fun love story. I mean, who didn't watch them in the, in the music video Drive, right? Um, and it was always such a good story. And for it to end this way, it just, it seems, it just seems so so much in contrast to what we enjoyed about both Rick Ocasek and Paula Paulina Porzakova from a public standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And we spent a lot of time talking about the spousal share when we kind of mentioned the kids and that they might contest. But is there a similar situation, like a similar way for the kids to protect themselves? Is there a child selective share? I don't believe there is. But maybe you're going to tell me you found one in, in a state. Um, I do think, though, at times there can be... You know, in this case, these the children who were disinherited were from a former marriage. There could be something in a former divorce decree 
that required him to set something aside of the estate. And and to your point earlier, you know, there are trusts that we probably won't see the, you know, see and know what what how assets pass through that might have also passed to to these sons. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think ultimately a very important thing to keep in mind is that we're only seeing this is about 5.1 million dollars that is in the estate. This is a very uh, which we're, we're going to believe is a very small portion of of what he actually had. So this this fight is over like a little it's almost over peanuts versus what we kind of aren't going to find out about. Yeah, which I, you know, and I think the thing is, these people might all have been covered in other trusts and everything might be fine. But, you know, it's this being so public, it's it's painful for them. So that's about all the time we have. Um, we've talked about a lot of stuff, but I think, Megan, if you could just sum up here, what do you think the most important thing for, for spouses who are sort of in a you know, in, in any relationship, there's there's often a power uh, imbalance. So, what what are the ways that, that spouses who find themselves in that power imbalance can protect themselves from from you know from being disinherited in a world like this? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is, and we run into it all the time when people are getting divorced. They don't want to deal with issues at hand. And part of our role as advisors is to be the mirror, to hold the mirror up and say, "This is what you have to be focusing on." And so, when you have clients going through this. You have to, as the advisor, be proactive in having people talk to their to their both their divorce attorney and their estate attorney to make sure that everything runs smoothly. And and also make people aware that look, being vindictive will end up costing more money down the line than it's truly worth. And you don't want someone coming in and contesting your estate plan and and undoing your wishes. Um, so I mean, I think it's just having some difficult conversations with clients. And I hope in this instance that his family, Rick Ocasek's family, finds peace after this. I'm sure this has been quite traumatic for them and, you know, upsetting that that this is how it finished. Well, that's about all the time we have for today, folks. I'd like to thank Megan Gorman for once again being a fantastic guest. Oh, thanks for having me. And gosh, you know, I love talking about stuff from the 80s and 90s, so this was fun. <laughs> And for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.